This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So one of the answers I got for uh, today's QOD, which non-playoff team do you expect to make it in next season? Jeff Adams sends this one along. Out of the East, Buffalo, Detroit, or Ottawa have a really good shot. Out West, I'd go with St. Louis or Vancouver. But if the Sharks happen to get Connor Bedard in the draft, then I'll pick them out West. Also, sweet pick hanging up behind you and uh, attaches the same picture, which uh, sits over my shoulder there. That is, by the way, uh, for those that have asked and even for those that haven't, uh, Jules Malosh, one of my favorite netminders of all time, legendary number 27, uh, with your California Seals and your then Cleveland Barons and your Minnesota North Stars and your Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, and I've still maintained that if Jill Malosh would have played on one of those powerhouse teams in the 70s, whether it was the Flyers or the Bruins or the Islanders or the Habs, We'd be talking about him as if he was one of the greats of all time. Instead, he played on the Seals and he played on the Barons. And we don't talk about him like Bernie Perrant and Ken Dryden and Jerry Cheevers and Billy Smith, etc., etc., etc. Meantime, last night, could not peel my eyes away from that Tampa Bay Lightning New York Rangers game. And I suspect if you are watching as well, you couldn't either. It was, as we like to say, new school skill and old school violence. And uh, was 100% entertaining as well, but there was a body count on both sides. Uh, Vince Mercogliano from Loha.com, my good buddy, joins me now for a comment on this and uh, the immediate future of the New York Rangers. Vince, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this again. Yeah, Jeff, no problem. Happy to come on and uh, just getting ready for playoffs over here. And it looks like the Rangers and Lightning were, too. Well, I was going to say, like, that one, like, right off the hop, that felt like, like, I've talked about, like, the first game that I saw this season, maybe you've seen another one. So I think it was uh, three weeks ago, it must be now, it was a Saturday afternoon game, was the Boston Bruins, and interestingly enough, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, you know, right off the top, you know, nine seconds in, there's a line brawl, a couple guys peel off and actually fight. And there was the first time that I said, okay, I'm looking at a playoff game right now. Like, for the first time, this is the first game on the schedule that I've looked at and I've said, this looks like and feels like a playoff game. And as the weeks have gone on here and things have ramped up, we're starting to see more games like this. There was an L.A. Edmonton game last week uh, that we saw that had the uh, you know a, a pretty similar uh, timber and tempo to it. But you're right. When we look at last night's game, that Rangers-Tampa game, that had day one opening round written all over it, although these two teams aren't going to meet in the opening round. Rangers probably New Jersey and Tampa locked in with Toronto. You're right, Vince. That one had a opening round playoff matchup type vibe to it from the opening bell. Yeah, Jeff, and you know the weird thing to me or the crazy thing for that I was wrapping my head around last night is that if you think back less than a week ago after the Rangers lost that overtime game in Buffalo, their head coach, Gerard Gallant, came out and basically called them out and said that it looked like that they were coasting since they clinched a playoff spot. They had had five or so games in a row where they got off to slow starts. It kind of looked like they were going through the motions a little bit. The effort was questioned a little bit. It looked like they were a team that was over the regular season and ready for the playoffs to start. But the question was, you know, can you just flip that switch? Can you get away with maybe not playing your best in these last couple weeks? and then be expected to be at the peak of your game once the lights get bright. For the Rangers, it looked last night, and even if you go back to Sunday in Washington, like, okay, they have flipped that switch now. It was such a stark contrast to what we were seeing in in these games where it just looked kind of lackadaisical. Last night was anything but that. They came out flying. They get three goals in the first period. But then you factor in all the hits, all the fights, all the intensity that they were playing with. I walked up to Ryan Lindgren in the locker room first thing when it opened up afterwards because I wanted to just talk to him. It was his first game back in a while and get a feel for it. He had this big smile on his face. He loves those kind of games. He goes, man, that was a fun one to come back to. So it seemed like the players really enjoyed it. Obviously, I think for (laughs) Gallant, it was a little nerve-wracking. You're worried about Truba, what happens for him now after he took that kind of awkward fall. Looks like he hit his face pretty hard on the ice, you hope that it's no kind of a head injury for him. We don't have too much information on that at this point. So you definitely have your fingers crossed. You don't want to see guys getting hurt or blocking shots or fighting too much at this stage of the season. But for the guys in the locker room, I think this was kind of a galvanizing moment. I think they've heard the whispers about they don't have a lot of grit anymore. They're they're too skill-oriented. They're not tough enough. And they felt like they answered the bell last night against Tampa. And to me now, they look like a team that's ready for the playoffs for sure.
I don't disagree at all. I, I, I don't, however, think that they want to play like this uh, every single game. Like, I don't think they want to play no, like that no, again no. tonight against St. Louis or against Columbus, and they got the rematch against Buffalo. And you're right, last Friday they looked like those first two periods against the Sabres. I'm like, what is happening here? Like, this is the snooziest I've, I've seen the Buffalo, the uh, the New York Rangers. I think it was like three shots in the first and four in the in the second. They made you know Devin Levi look like the ghost of Terry Sawchuk. It was incredible. Like, um, like what Ranger team is? this i don't think they want to play like that all the way through here but you know the one thing that i've been saying all show here is that's a gerard glant type game man like that's the way gerard mm-hmm. glant loves hockey to be played like you can't do that 82 times a year we all know that but as far as you know what type of game is a coach comfortable in i think it's the same kind of game behind the bench as as he was when he was when he was playing with the Detroit Red Wings a game like that which is both skilled and violent like i looked at the game and i said man that was the most gerard gallant new york rangers game i've seen all season long yep yep and and, and i think the message afterwards and he he echoed this as well was just like you're saying we're not going to play this every game we're not going to play like this every playoff game but knowing that if it gets to that level. If for some reason things get chippy or things get out of hand within the course of the game, not only can the Rangers respond with toughness, but they can also manage those emotions because the way that the second period ended was just chaos. We, we saw, you know, Killorn goes into Shesterkin and then yep. kind of speared him in the, you know, that, that definitely pissed a lot of the guys off. And, and Ryan Lindgren was right in the middle of that scrum. Braden Schneider puts the big hit on Nick Paul. A fight breaks out after that. Ben Harper was in the middle of pretty much everything. So it looked like the emotions were running almost a little too hot. But then the Rangers come out in the third period, and they had their way in that period. They scored two goals to really seal the win. They outshot the Lightning 16-6 to in that final period. So they managed the wave of emotions. And at the end of the day, they were clearly the better team. So I think overall that was a performance that they feel really good about. And you got to give Gerard Gallant some credit for this. Usually in these post-game press conferences, especially in the practices, He's very protective of his players. As a former player, I think he's very sensitive to not wanting to publicly criticize his guys very often. But he's picked his spots a few times in his first two seasons with the Rangers where he's come out and questioned the effort and said we're not playing hard enough and said things that I think get under guys' skin a little bit, but it's for a purpose. And it seems like every time that he's strategically done that, well, I don't know if it's strategic or spontaneous, but every time he's done that, They've responded well. He called them out after that Friday night loss in Buffalo. They played really well against Washington on Sunday, and then they answered the bell against Tampa last night. So they definitely seem to respond well to their coach's message in that situation. Okay, Patrick Kane, what gives? That's a great question, Jeff. I mean, listen, you know it, I know it, everyone around the league knows it, that there were concerns prior to the trade about his hip. I mean, I heard that from multiple sources, including yep. team sources. And when they initially made, I think you and I have talked about this before, but when they initially took a pass on Kane and made the, the trade for Tarasenko, part of the reasoning was they were concerned about the hip. Now, obviously, ch- things changed in the ensuing weeks, especially as it became clear that Kane wanted to go to New York and that was going to shift the leverage in the Rangers' favor. That made it a risk that they were willing to take. But everybody knew that it was a risk. Now, Gallant said before the game last night that this is precautionary. If this were a playoff setting, he's pretty sure that Kane would have gutted through it and played. But there's no way to sugarcoat it. This close to the playoffs, we're less than two weeks away. It's worrisome if a guy has to miss a game for any reason at this stage. And knowing that the hip has been something that he's been dealing with or managing throughout the season – you know, you don't want anything to go wrong at this stage. So I think sitting him is the right call. The Rangers, from everyone I've talked to, sound optimistic that it's going to be fine, that he's going to be ready for the playoffs. We'll see if maybe even he plays in St. Louis tonight, especially if they don't have Truba available. They would need Kane to, to, to you know, ice a full roster. But there's, there's no way to not have at least a little concern in the back of your mind, given the history and given that we know this is something the Rangers were aware of before they even made the trade. You know, the Rangers did a couple of things uh, around deadline. They made big moves. You mentioned, you mentioned Patrick Kane, and, and we think of Vladimir Tarasenko as well. And then there's, you know, little tweaks that pay off big. And every time I watch the Rangers, Tyler Mott is doing something. Your thoughts on Tyler Mott on this team? He's, he's such a good fit for this roster because he brings elements that they needed. 
he's a lunch pail guy. He plays with a lot of speed, which is something that the Rangers don't have a ton of throughout their lineup. So having a guy who will forecheck hard and swarm people and create turnovers and make those pesky kind of a plays, that's ideal for their fourth line. They wanted to re-sign him in the offseason. The problem was they knew they were so tight on cap space that when they realized it was going to be what ended up being $1.35 million, that was even a little too rich for their blood. They wanted to fill out the bottom of their roster with guys that were closer to the league minimum, which is why you saw them offer Jimmy Vesey a PTO. But they always had it in the back of their yep. mind that they would love to bring Mott back if they could. And with him on that fourth line with Barclay Gaudreau and with Vesey, that line, they've had some up and downs, but for the most part, they've been really solid for the Rangers, and they all embrace their role. They know that they're not out there to be the skill guys or create a lot of offense. They do the dirty work. And what we've seen come from that is it does lead to some goals. Those guys for loose pucks, they're doing all the little things, all the dirty work that sometimes ends up leading to offense, and they're all really defensively sound players. So Mott has been a guy that's been great for the Rangers, and I think now he's got five goals in 20 games since the trade. So he's chipping in even more often than some people expected. But if you talk to Gerard Gallant or anybody about him, they're not going to mention the goals first and foremost. They're going to mention the speed and the defense and the forecheck and, and those kind of things, which you know is, is the type of stuff that Gerard Gallant wants mm-hmm. to run his system. Okay, two questions left for you. I do want to ask you the, the, the QOD, and we'll get to there in a second. But um, Kalorn has a good poke yesterday at Igor Shosturkin. About an hour ago, Chris Mason, former NHL netminder, now working uh, in the broadcast crew with the Nashville Predators, tweets out, along with the video... Such an embellishment. I love Shosturkin, but I hate when goalies do this. Players, too, for that matter. It's embarrassing. Shows the uh, the, the sequence and says, look, he's totally fine. A million percent embellishment. Thoughts on Shosturkin last night after the poke from Kalorn? I always... Personally, I have a hard time accusing players of embellishment. I'm not on the ice. I don't know what it feels like. If Mason says he thinks it's embellishment, that's fine. He played. I'm not going to question it, but I always have a hard time accusing players of embellishing or faking, etc., especially after getting a spear. But your thoughts on the on the Mason comments, it's an embellishment, according to the former NHL netminder. Well, I have two thoughts. The first thing would be that, yes, I do think that Igor has developed a little bit of a reputation to have that flair for dramatic and and try to get calls his way. And, and yes, I think embellishment might be a fair word in certain situations. And I would even defer to Steve Valaket, who's who's a a little bit of a friend of mine. We've gotten pretty tight since I've had uh, this beat. And we've talked about it, and I've heard him say it on the broadcast before. He thinks that, that there are situations where, where he does see that from Igor, and this is a guy who's played the game. And he said sometimes, especially when it comes to making a save where you kind of you know throw your glove up over your head and add a little extra flair at the end of it, that that's almost to fire your teammates up as well. Yeah. But we've seen times where he gets crashed into and that sort of thing, and he does seem to sell it a little bit. But with all that being said, I did think that it looked like Kaloran basically stuck his stick in between the guy's legs, and I think for pretty much anybody, that's something that you're going to react to. So I did think that it looked like a play that the league was probably going to review, and in my opinion, I think they got it right by finding him for that. So it seemed like an unnecessary thing at the end of the play. Like some Rangers fans were upset about Anthony Sorelli, and they were wondering if that should have been goalie interference, but to me that looked like he was just trying to make a play going after his own rebound. So I had no issue with that. But Kaloran coming in after it looked like Brandon Hagel had already scored a goal and then sticking his stick in between the guy's legs, I, I think that's something a lot of people would have a problem with, and I certainly wouldn't fault Igor or call that embellishment. Other situations maybe we can talk about, but in this particular one, I, I thought Igor reacted the way that, frankly, I would react or many other people would react. Okay, let me wrap up on this one there. We're, we're kind of up against If you got a hot 30 seconds, bless you. Question of the day today, which non-playoff team do you expect to make it in next season? I like the question. So for me, I think I look at the Atlantic. There's, there's a few teams I like in that division as up and coming. The Red Wings are one of them. The Senators are one of them. But my list would start with the Buffalo Sabres. They've given the Rangers fits in, in the times that I've seen them so far this season. Love the skill, and I especially love 
what they're building with the blue line with Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power. Building around two guys like that in your decor, I think, is a recipe for success. So as long as they can sort out the goaltending situation, the Sabres would be my pick. Well, they're all loving Devin Levi right now, and that started with that game against the Rangers where Levi only really had to play the one period where the Rangers threw 20 pucks at him. Like, that was the only, like, I mean, up until the game against Florida on on Tuesday, that was the only sort of legitimate period um, that he played. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Levi here. But that seems to be the consensus. Everyone's expecting the Buffalo Sabres, who technically, you know, mathematically aren't out of it yet. In the in in the playoff race here, yep, to try to yep. get in one of those wild card spots, but they're 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 the salmon swimming upstream here. This, this is going to be a tough one uh, for the Buffalo Sabers. Vince, you're great. Um, always appreciate the contributions and the perspective and the insight. Thanks as always for stopping by, pal. Yeah, no problem, Jeff. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Vince Mercagliano, he's uh, fantastic from lowhut.com. Check out his work there and follow that man on Twitter. Uh, big win, New York Rangers over the Tampa Bay Lightning yesterday. Some fights, some hits, some fines, a poke to Shesterkin, some controversy, some angry words, two heated fan bases. Hockey. Coming up in Hour 2, Random Player of the Day, uh, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, former NHL forward and Stanley Cup champion as well, and Pete Weber, Nashville Predators play-by-play voice. Big Hour 2 is on the horizon. Keep it here. and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Mike Rupp from the uh, NHL Network, former uh, Stanley Cup champion, stops by. Also, bottom of the hour, Pete Weber, Nashville Predators play-by-play voice. The Preds clinging. I love teams that do this, hey? I'm, I suspect you're probably the same way. Teams at a trade deadline say, yeah, we're done. We're trading the high-priced help. Yeah, getting rid of it. What do you want? You looking for a defenseman? You looking for a right winger? What do you need? Some depth scoring, depth D. Yeah, we got that. How about a top six player, too? How about that? How about a young, tough player in Tanners? You know, you want that, Julian Brisebois? And then still, by the end, after trade deadline, once everybody writes them off, the goaltender, usually, and a few other players say, all right, everybody, climb aboard. We're going to take a swing at this thing. That's why I love the Nashville Predators. They've done this before. But it's going to be tough. Maybe near impossible. But plucky Preds, right? Uh, So Mike Rupp coming up here in a couple of seconds. Matt Marchese, how are you, pal? I'm very good. Random player du jour, the random player of the day today. Who submitted it, and who do we have, Maddie? Uh, I believe this one was submitted by, and I hope I get the name right, Charles Menger, and he submitted Dirk Graham. Okay. The first black captain in the history of the NHL, first black coach, uh, to Mike Keenan uh, of the Chicago Blackhawks made Dirk Graham captain after a... A long-time feud with Denny Savard. Um, boy, that was like the worst-kept secret in the NHL from pretty much day one, the Keenan-Denny Savard feud. And um, Dirk Graham took over uh, as captain, was an interim captain first when Savard was injured and then became the full-time captain uh, of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Regina Saskatchewan-born. Like The thing when I think about with Dirk Graham is just like a really good, honest hockey player, Really good, you know, two-way player, uh, was a winger. Um, rare that he was a winger, Maddie, that won the uh, Selkie Trophy as a winger. There's only been a couple of them. Drafted by Vancouver in the fifth round. Uh, let his contract expire while he was playing in the International League for Fort Wayne and Toledo as well. And then signed with the Minnesota North Stars. Uh, traded to the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for Kurt Frazier, I want to say. And Chicago is really where Dirk Graham took off. Um, great penalty killer. I mentioned two-way guy. There was one season where he scored 10 shorthanded goals. 
And for a lot of people, and probably for Dirk Graham himself, even though you know he helped lead uh, the Blackhawks to a Stanley Cup final appearance and scored you know three goals, three goals in the first period of Game Four against the Pittsburgh Penguins as the Blackhawks were facing elimination. The big moment of his life was Canada Cup 1991. Uh, Team Canada up one game to none uh, on the USA. Game two, uh, the game was tied in the third period. Um, Gary Suter winds up for one of his patented slap shots, blocked by Dirk Graham, who goes down the other way, shorthanded, I should mention, which is kind of one of Dirk Graham's specialties, uh, and scores Canada wins uh, the game, Canada wins the Canada Cup 1991. Um, I mentioned great defensive forward, won the Selkie Trophy in 1991, and, you know, he's one of only four wingers, Maddie to have ever won the Selkie Trophy. That seems to be the exclusive domain of the center in the NHL. I get it. You know, defensive responsibilities are that much more um, for a center than a winger in the NHL. Although how someone like Marion Hossa was able to go through his entire career and not get a Selkie Trophy, I say the same thing about Mark Stone, how he's able to go through an entire career and not win a Selkie Trophy along the way. That's a tough one for me, but he joined um, Yuri Lettinen, uh, Craig Ramsey, who pr- we probably don't talk about enough, Matty, as being one of the great two-way players of the game. And then the guy who they essentially created the trophy for, who was a winger himself, part of the Peterborough Mafia of Bob Gainey. So it was Gainey, Ramsey, Yuri Lettinen, and Dirk Graham, the only wingers to win the Selkie Trophy, which is now, as I mentioned, exclusively for centers. What do you have for Dirk Graham, Maddie? A uh, couple things. First of all, when you look at, at the stats, I, I love these types of stats because I always wonder how many points okay. they would have put up if they didn't spend so much time in the box. So Dirk Graham, his final year with Regina, <laughs> had 108 yeah. points, 48 of them were goals, and he had 252 penalty minutes. And and my thing is always like, imagine if you didn't take yeah. so many penalties or didn't fight as much, how many points you would have put up. So that was one thing. Um, the other thing that uh, stands out about Dirk Graham is, so the year he won, uh, or sorry, no, it wasn't the year, um, uh, 88-89, he had a, a career high 78 points. Yep. He had 33 goals. Yep. 10 of those goals were scored shorthanded. The only other players to score yeah. 10 or more shorthanded goals in a season were, do you know? Uh, is Tom Fergus one of them? Nope. They're stars. Like, uh, this is a really incredible well, Wayne Gretzky list. would be one. Correct. Wayne, Gre- Wayne, Wayne Gretzky's one. Is Mario on that list? He is. And there's one more, along with Dirk Grant. L.A. Kings. Oh, short Who a star, Jeffrey. A lot of goals there. Dave Taylor? Dave nope. Taylor, Charlie Mar- Simmer? Marcel Dion. Little Beaver killed that many penalties, eh? Well, I don't know if he killed that many penalties, but he scored a lot of shorthanded goals. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of got to be killing the penalty to get a shorthanded I, goal. That's kind of how the I guess. That's how the penalty kill works here, Matt. <laughs> I guess. Shorthanded goals but, work. But, like, that's a pretty incredible oh, yeah. list that Dirk Graham is a part of. Yeah, that that really is. I I, I love them uh, as a player. Just like a really good, honest player. Uh, I love the look, uh, the mustache and the Jofa. To me, has always been a fantastic combination. Anytime you look at, like if you look at old videos and you look at old pictures of hockey, uh, specifically in the '80s, you have a guy that's wearing a Jofa helmet, which is essentially a napkin with a chin strap, uh, and he's got a big bushy mustache. Yeah, that's a hockey player. That's that you can you can rest assured like that guy is gonna put in twenty goals and have like hundred and seventy five penalty minutes and listen man that was Dirk Graham good honest hockey player liked them loved them Dirk Graham today's random player of the day uh, for your chance to submit your favorite random player go for it JM show at sportsnet dot CA being joined now by Mike Rupp of the NHL Network former NHL forward Stanley Cup champion and uh first of all Rupper how are you today thanks so much for doing this as always no problem Jeff always glad to hop on with you I'm good hopefully uh all's good with you too 
Uh, things are wonderful. You know, we were just talking a second ago about uh, Dirk Graham. So we do this bit on the show every day. People send, submit just like a random player, and I do a little biography or whatever comes off the top of my head about this player. And today's was Dirk Graham. And I just loved Dirk Graham, like a really good, honest, two-way guy, you know, one of the rare wingers uh, to win the Selkie Trophy. And I always maintain, if you have a guy who wears... You know, back in the 80s, one of those Jofa helmets and had a mustache, you knew you had a really good hockey player. And he was just like a really honest, you know, lunch bucket, you know, uh, roll up your sleeves, blue collar kind of kind of hockey player. When I say blue collar hockey player to Mike Rupp, is there someone that you grew up admiring or someone that you played with that you looked at and you said, you know what? Nothing is spectacular here. He's not going to be the fastest player, not the hardest shot. He's just a really good, honest player that gives you a, a solid 45 seconds every time he's on the ice. Uh, I'd probably say Adam Graves. Adam Graves would be one for me. Um, you know, I just love the way he played the game and felt like he played it the right way. He was, you know, not an overly big guy at all, but he would he would play. And a lunch pail in, in that kind of blue-collar mentality for me is just – a guy will do anything, right? And they almost say, you ask yourself, and I even do it nowadays, it's yeah. uh, what do you need? What do you need type player? You know, it's like almost, you know, to verbalize it, what do you need, coach? We need a goal. You need me to, you know, traffic in front, block a shot, get the puck out, whatever you need. I feel like Adam Gray's kind of fit that. And uh, obviously he's a legendary uh, New York Ranger. And uh, that's one that jumps out. Yeah, he's a he's a great one. Um, I want to get to the question of the day here with, with you in, in a couple of seconds too, but I I can't I can't go any further in this conversation before I ask you about the Rangers Tampa game last night. Like that was as I've been saying all show long, new school skill and old school um, animosity, old school hatred, old school violence, all of that. Um, I loved it. I know why we can't have that every single game for 82, 82 a year. I get it. But every now and then it's nice to, to see games like that. I know there's a body count. We'll see what happens with Sorelli and we'll see what happens with, uh, with Jacob Truba. But uh, I'm guessing Mike Rupp is watching this thing last night and he's smiling deeply while he strokes his beard and says, I remember games like this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was it was kind of uh, perfect too. I was I was doing radio for Rangers on the game, so I was in the arena calling it. So it was like the perfect game for to get you primed for the playoffs, right? And uh, so we know that I think that whenever we see teams that have played each other in the playoffs, it just adds something different. We know that last year's Eastern Conference Finals, Tampa knocked out the New York Rangers. And remember, the Rangers were up in that. They're up. The Rangers are up three-one, right? And then they had uh, uh, Tampa run off three in a row, I believe. And uh, it was uh, it was something that was uh, you know it, it sticks with you. It burns, and and I think that you felt like that uh, the playoff atmosphere last night. And I, I think that some of the the stuff that happened in the game on the Tampa end, I, I respect that it happened. But I think in the playoffs, you wouldn't see that. I, I don't think that game really meant much except for just your your ego maybe for the Tampa Bay Lightning because we, we've known where they're going to kind of finish mm-hmm. off and who they're playing um, all season long, it feels like. So I, I feel like in some of those big hits by Ranger players, getting the or the instigators, whether it's Pat Maroon on, on Harper or, you know, Schneider has a great hit on, on Paul, and then you get Ross Colton responding. But it was physicality, a little hatred, uh, great goaltending in the game. Tons of skill on the ice. I mean, that was that's everything a fan can ask for. Yeah, and you know, it, it very much looked like a a Gerard Gallant style game. Like you know, Elliot was making the point in the in the first hour um, last year. I think it was last year at the draft. Uh, in Montreal at um, at one of the coaching symposiums, you know, Gerard Gallant was was talking about the one thing that he hates more than anything else with his teams. He, you know, he says like, I hate when my teams get pushed around. Like it just it just burns him. And if you there's anyone you know of of my vintage who watched Gerard Gallant play hockey, like he that's the way he played, man. Like he was he was skilled, he could score, but he was tough and he would take on all comers. And he didn't like anyone pushing around anybody from the Detroit Red Wings. And I looked at that game and I said, like that's a that's a game where Gerard Gallant looks at it and says, now that's my kind of hockey game. Uh, we have skill and we're not getting pushed around, and a lot of it we're instigating. 
we are the ones that are initiating, whether you mentioned the big hits. Uh, we're initiating a lot of this, too, because Gallant just can't stand it when his teams get bullied a little bit. He's, they, that, that just burns him more than anything else. Yeah, and I, and I think it, uh, what I've always felt with certain teams is, I'm trying to think back, and I remember playing against the Ottawa Senators, and those were the, you know, you had the Alfredson, uh, geez, what, what some of the guys on the, the team's end, you had, you had Chris Kelly, Mike Fisher. Uh, Osa, Havlat. Osa, Havlat, and, and, and uh, Neil. I mean, when you went around, I mean, obviously Chris Neal is a tough customer, and he was always willing to stand up for his teammates and, yeah. and stir things up and initiate. And they had Matt Karkner at times. But they, it wasn't a team where you looked at him and you're yeah. like, oh, that's a that's a scary team because they've got three guys that will knock your block off or whatever. But th- that team was hard to play against because every single player was not going to back down. If you, after the whistle, wanted to give a shove, they're going to shove you right back. They're gonna, you're gonna, They're going to finish every hit. Those are the tough teams to play against. So it doesn't have to be a team that has a Ryan Reeves on it or a team that has a Curtis McDermott. Like it could be a team just where everyone, you feel like if you're going to get in a shoving match, you're going to get in a shoving match with 18 of them. Right. Like, and that's, and that's, it wears on you. So I remember Ottawa used to be that. And in that game last night, um, Vinny Trocek was stirring it up. He got in that fight with, with Corey Perry. I mean, yeah. Um, we had different players. I mean, I, I, I saw a little bit of bite from Lafreniere in the game. And, and uh, so he's been showing a little more of that as the season's gone on. So I think when you start showing that you're, you're a united front and that physicality department, other guys are like, all right, I can do this now too. And I think it makes you so much more difficult to play against. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the one team that I'm thinking of, because I'm, I'm looking around the NHL here, and I'm, I'm looking at you sort of, you know, describing this team that, you know, one face wash and it draws the attention of the whole team. And it's a it's a, a tough team, not just with fighting, although they have a lot of people that can handle that as well, um, including the aforementioned Ryan Reeves, is the Minnesota Wild. Like, I look at Minnesota. Like, Bill Guerin's kind of building a team full of, like, Bill Guerin's or elements of Bill Guerin. Now, he didn't have the skill that Kaprizov did, um, but still, like, you play against the Minnesota Wild, like they are skilled and they are tough. And they have a lot of guys that will push you back. Mind you, they do have, you know, Joel Erickson and, and skilled dudes. But the the way you're describing a, a team here, I'm thinking, okay, who in the West looks like that? Mm, maybe the Minnesota Wild. You have a thought on them through, uh, through all this? We'll move on. But I'm just curious because as you're describing this, I'm seeing, hang on, that's that team in green in the state of hockey. Yeah, I mean it's it's you've got it throughout that lineup. I mean Marcus Foligno, um, you've got these these edgy players. I mean you, you talk about the Duhame, the uh, uh, you know unfortunately what was it the uh, uh, Mason got uh, Mason Shaw got hurt uh, I believe the other day. Mason so, Shaw. Uh, yeah, he he would bring it uh, Dewar. Uh, I can't remember. Is it Dewar Dewar? Whatever it is, he's uh, he's scrappy too. Dewar. Like, got these Dewar. Cool- Dewar, thank you. Dewar will uh, mix it up as well in the back end. I mean, they, and the other part, too, uh, you take the puck away from uh, Kirill Kaprizov, who's going to be drawn back in here shortly. He'll he'll rip your face off and get that puck back. So it doesn't just stop with those guys, right? And, you know, Matt Zuccarello, you don't back yeah. down from guys. I mean, he's a little guy, but I, I think when you just have it kind of bleeding through your lineup, just this attitude, it, it makes it so much more difficult to play against. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd much rather have my team – be able to play that way if need be, um, then wonder, can we? You know, you can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden become brave overnight. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get there, and uh, the Wild have all that. It's an old saying. I remember Pete DeBoer talking to me about this when he was coaching the uh, the Kitchener Rangers, and they just made a trade for Steve Downey, who was playing for Peterborough. And I said, what are you doing? Like, this guy's going to get suspended. He's going to cost you. It's going to be penalty after penalty. And he said, Jeff, I understand all of that but I'd rather have to tame a tiger than paint stripes on a kitty cat. You can always calm someone down, but it's really hard. To, I know what you're saying, Rupper. It's really hard to pump someone up if they don't have it in them uh, to begin with. Um, I want to ask you about the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Pittsburgh is in a tough one tonight. They're in a tough one. They're battling for their playoff lives here. They'll face off against Minnesota later on today. And I don't know, Rupper, if there's a more frustrating team in the NHL this season than Pittsburgh. Sometimes they look like the 77 Habs. Uh, Sometimes they look like they're a lottery team. I I can't figure them out. I don't know that anybody really can. But when the wheels come off the wagon, they really fall apart. But then other times when it's clicking, it's a thing of beauty. 
maybe it's like trying to grab a handful of water. That's what it feels like to me trying to describe the Pittsburgh Penguins. Can you do it better than I can? Because to me, it's I'm grabbing a handful of water. I don't know who they are. Do you, Mike Rupp, know who the Pittsburgh Penguins are? I, I wish I did. Uh, I don't. I think that's a good way of explaining it, too. Uh, here, here's the thing with that team. And if you go look at some of their some of their runs this year, uh, this was pointed out geez, a couple weeks ago. And I remember we pulled this stat, and I'm just – just paraphrasing here, but I mean, they, I think they started the season. I, I want to say they lost like the first three games or something. Then they ran off six in a row. Then it was like, they lost four in a row. Yeah. Then they won like eight of the next 10. Then they lost five in a row. Like it was, I mean, it is so night and day yep. as the season goes on. I think that's, <laughs> that's where the frustrating part of it is, is that wouldn't you as a fan base, geez, even management almost be better with like, Hey, you know what? We just, we got some work to do. We're just not, we're not there. You know, if we miss it, you can, you can live with not making the playoffs. If you just like, we just don't have the right mix here, but to your note and what you said, mm. there's times where they look, they can compete with anybody and they can go on runs and they look like yeah. they still have another run in them. That's the frustrating thing, but you never know when you're going to get it, you know, and this is a, that, that's a crazy thing. They got a huge game tonight against Minnesota. So they got Minnesota, not in order after this. I think there's Detroit, Columbus, and Chicago. And yeah, I think you, this team's got to get six of those eight points. I think they win tonight in Minnesota because that's what they do. They win the game that's going to be the hardest, and then it's going to yeah. be hang-on mode against three non-playoff teams. And we'll see if they get it. I mean, that, it, it's frustrating. <laughs> I, 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 the, the big guys are still looking good, so yeah. that means that the window's open, but they need some complimentary pieces. That's something they got they got to work on in the summer, just better role players around them that can complement what they're trying to do. Um, okay, so let, let's close them by focusing on those those three teams looking for that those those two wild card spots in the Eastern Conference. And I'm with you on, on Pittsburgh. Like, they got the Minnesota game, and then they have non-playoff teams. And I look at the Islanders, and they have Tampa tonight, and that's a that's a back-to-back. And Tampa last six back-to-backs, they've lost uh, the second game. So Fortune may be smiling on the Islanders here. And then after that, it's Philly, Washington, Montreal, three non-playoff teams. Um, the Florida Panthers face off against Ottawa tonight. We know they can stick at the teams. Love playing spoiler. And then it's the Capitals, the Maple Leafs, and the Carolina Hurricanes. Florida Panthers have a really tough schedule. Each team plays four games. Penguins are one point out of the whole thing. How do you see this thing shaping up, Rupper? Oh, man. Um, you know what? I, I still feel like I, I still feel like this Islanders team, it, they, they, they stay in. And so to me, it's between Pittsburgh and Florida. And so I... I have a. I still am leaning towards Pittsburgh finding a way to get it done, and I, I think that what we're seeing from Florida, this pushback, the big Walt kind of comments that maybe spurred the team on a little bit, calling them soft. They, they've gone four and zero since that. I mean, they're winning right now yeah. when they have to. I wonder if you know, can Alex Lyon, if he's called upon, can he keep doing it? You know, is Bob healthy? Uh, is he going to be able to? to come in and, and give them the, the, the game they need. I, I think it's – I'm still going to lean towards the Islanders and uh, and and the Penguins, but uh, Florida's got an opportunity to make this very interesting, and, and we'll see because they've dropped some games here. They, they should – the door has been left wide open for them. They've just been unable to kick it in all the way. So uh, it's going to make for a fun last few games of the season. Uh, it sure will. Okay, we'll finish up with the question of the day. So, of all the teams not going to make the playoffs, which one do you see them making? Which which team do you see making it into the postseason next year? I'm going to go with the uh, Washington Capitals. I think this is a team that um, ah. I like. I like what they did, and you can argue you can argue that the Pittsburgh Penguins or some of these other teams were in the same boat to some degree even though Pittsburgh was more in the playoffs at the time when this happened. But trade deadline time, uh, Brian McClellan made some trades, freed up some spots. I mean, and this is why I'm going to stick with this uh, Caps team. They've got, they're going to have some cap space. They've got a lot of contracts that are coming up. They don't have many uh, roster spots that are already accounted for. So they have some, some, some flexibility here. And the, the one part I really, really love is you've got John Carlson, Nick Jensen, Rasmus Sandin, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk. And when you add those four guys together, as far as their salary, I mean, it's, it's 
pretty affordable. Like they've got four solid defensemen situated right there. That one of them's at eight. That's Carlson, obviously, and then you've got Jensen at, at two and a half, yeah. and then it bumps up to four. Uh, uh, or sorry, bumps up to four next year, and then you've got one four for Sandine, and then you're going to have three million uh, for Van Riemsdyk. I mean, very affordable guys, eating minutes. So I, I guess they just have a lot of roster flexibility. I think they make some big moves, and and they're going to be in on some players this summer. And I think that this is a team they'll get right back in the mix. They did. It's, I agree. They did it the right way. It's not going to be a, a long retool. It's going to be real quick on the fly. Um, they're going to do everything they can to get Ovechkin this record. We know that. And uh, and he, he, here's my take on the Caps from this season. With all due respect to Gabriel Landeskog, who's been out all season long, the Avalanche were not great, but okay and fine. And they got in there. Um, and they're still an elite team in the NHL, and we can see them winning a Stanley Cup. I don't know that there's an injury in this season that impacted a team more than the John Carlson injury did to Washington. That Carlson injury essentially took the caps out. Like, I know that Ovechkin is the guy. He's the MVP. He's a a straw that stirs, etc. But we really saw this season how important John Carlson is to this Washington Capitals team. Because without Carlson, this is a completely rupper, completely different squad. I don't know that there was a more impactful injury this year than John Carlson. We'll finish with this. Agree or disagree? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, the team the team just kind of fell off a cliff when when Carlson went down. So, I mean, this is a guy that makes their their power play elite. I mean, as much as you're going to get love and attention for Ovi, deservingly so. John Carlson, what he does for offense for that team, and what he's actually, you know, it's a, what he's done to turn his game into. A, he it once was we're playing against him very one dimensional, very good. On the offense side, he's he's mm-hmm. turned his game. Like he he's a he's a pretty complete defenseman. So they've missed him immensely. Having him back will be big. And then, um, I, you know, I just like the guys, the other aforementioned guys that that are on, on on under contract too on the back end. I think they got a good start. Yeah, we'll see. That'll be uh, Washington's going to. I'm with you. They're they're going to be fascinating in the off season. Uh, you're the best pal, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, Stanley Cup champion, former NHLer, and uh, you hear him regularly here on the program. Thanks, Mike. Always appreciate it, pal. All right, thanks, buddy. Enjoy. There he is, the great Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, the team to watch in the offseason, the Washington Capitals. I don't disagree. This is a team that is always going to go for it. I shouldn't say that. This is a team that will go for it until the Gretzky record falls. After that, all bets are off. And if you look at how the contracts have sort of been structured, and you saw this most recently with the Trevor Van Riemsdyk deal, they're sort of being structured to sort of peak right around the time, not peak, but culminate uh, right around the time we expect Alexander Ovechkin um, to break Wayne Gretzky's record. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, let's get in a couple of emails here with uh, with Matt Marchese to the question of the day to which Mike Rupp answered the Washington Capitals. Here's a QOD. Which non-playoff team can you see making it in next season? Uh, what else do we have from uh, from the good listenership, Maddie? All right, we got one. Uh, this one from a great handle. A one dirty parrot. Um, sneaky team, the Canadians. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. They... What? <laughs> what? That's what, the, that's what their name is. They don't have a name. It's just one dirty parrot. I don't know. I don't make this stuff up. Uh, you know what your job is at the end of the day? Stay alive. <laughs> because if you just stay alive, you'll you'll see some and hear some really funny things. That's your job. It's your job every day. Just stay alive. Yeah. That's your yeah. job. You see one yeah. dirty one dirty parrot. Okay. <clears throat> Shoot, what does one dirty parrot submit? <laughs> they say a lot of things, but uh sneaky team, the Canadians. Yeah. If they can get some lottery luck and pick one or two and they stop trying to beat another record for man yeah. games lost. They could be a dangerous and fun team yeah. to watch uh, and challenge for a wild card spot. You see, here's how I feel about Montreal. I think when it finally does click for Montreal, it clicks suddenly. Like, I don't know that Montreal is going to be one of these teams, like, because to the point, like, they have a lot of really good young players that they're, you know, that they've drafted and are developing and more coming. We'll see what happens here with uh, Lane Hudson and, at Boston University. But I kind of get the feeling that when it all clicks, it's all going to work really fast. Like, it's not going to be one of these, like, oh, they scratched and clawed and they came close, uh, but they fell apart in the final 10 games. 
Like, do you not get the feeling with the Montreal Canadiens, and I think goaltending is a wild card here uh, with uh, w- with the Habs, that, and I don't think it's going to be next season, but when it does finally click, that it's going to be spectacular, and all of a sudden we're going to talk about Cole Caulfield and, you know, the Rocket Richard, and we're going to talk about Nick Suzuki and the Selkie Trophy and things like that. Like, don't you get that sense that when it does click, it's going to be sudden, and it's going to be profound, and it's going to be for a long time? That's how I yeah, feel I do. the Habs. Yeah, and I have the same question about the goaltending as well. Um, but the other question I have is, is the defense going to be good enough? Like, you mentioned Hudson there. Obviously, Caden Gooley. It's young, man. It's young. It, it, yes. Yeah. Are, are, is it good enough? And that's going to be the question. Like, when the time comes, because I have no doubts about their forwards. I think their forward group is already pretty good, and I think it's going to get better. Um, and they're going to have some cap yeah. flexibility coming up here. But my question is always going to be after the forwards, is the rest of your lineup good enough? And I, and I think that's going to be something that the Habs are, are going to have to address mm-hmm. here. Uh, don't disagree. We got another one before we go to break and bring on Pete Weber. Sure. Uh, let's go with this one. This one from uh, Pascal Daou. He says, I'll go Vancouver. Healthy Demko uh, playing better lately. This team is way better than they're standing. Beauvillier works well. Hironic will help on D also. I think they're, um, first of all, I agree with Thomas Trance, who was on a couple of days ago, who said job number one is flexibility. Now, Jim Rutherford, interestingly, when he first took over, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, the first thing he talked about was cap flexibility, and that's what we need, and that's what we need to we need to maneuver around in the offseason. We need room to move. Um, we're a non-playoff team, and we're rubbing shoulders with some of the elite spenders around the NHL. That doesn't resonate well, certainly in the uh, in the owner's box and, and doesn't all the way down. Um, they've barked a lot about needing cap space, but haven't done anything about it. As a matter of fact, you make the argument they've done the opposite, uh, see contracts to both Brock Besser uh, and contracts to, to JT Miller as well. Um, job number one is cap flexibility. Job number two is is resign Elias Pettersson. And I know it's going to be a whopper of a deal, but I'm sorry. Like, you have an elite and you're going to pay for it. Um, and because you have to. I think Vancouver a, a really, has the potential to be a really, really good team here i just don't know like you made the point about you know heronic's gonna be gonna help and yes he is i just don't know that the blue line is going to be there um and i do wonder about timelines since there are so many significant pieces that are on different timelines and we've heard whispers before of you know what did they do with thatcher demko um, do they end up moving Thatcher Demko? Does Thatcher Demko stay? If you move him, you, you hustle along the rebuild even more. It just seems that Vancouver is one of those teams that have so many good players, but they're at different points in their career that nothing is really clicking together. And that's Rick Tockett's responsibility to make all of that work now. Um, they have found money in, in Kuzmenko. He's been fantastic for them and was rewarded handsomely. Elias Pettersson is going to be rewarded even more handsomely uh, than he already is. Uh, in July, they can, you know, now they're one, they'll be one year out of a contract. They can they can negotiate an extension. Um, and they have one of the best defensemen in the NHL in Quinn Hughes. So, like, you have the you have the building blocks there at every single position. The challenge is complementing all of them with the right players. And again, about Vancouver, look around the division. If Vancouver is going to take a step up, who's going to take a step back? It ain't going to be Vegas. It ain't going to be Edmonton. Probably not going to be Los Angeles. We'll see about Calgary. But who's taking the step back here, Maddie? If Vancouver's taking the step up, they are again. The old, like yeah. I throw Washington into that mix, I throw Vancouver into the watch them closely this offseason. Yeah, I'll be quick with this one, but I, I think the one team that I look at because I don't think that I don't think that their goaltending is sustainable going forward. I don't love it, and uh, the fact that they lack you know the superstar power that I think you still need in this league to be consistently good would be Seattle. I don't know. They are just so balanced. I know what you mean, but they are just so balanced and so good. Um, we'll see. 
we'll 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 see. I don't. I I'm. It took me a long time to get sold on Seattle, and I'm there. They look profoundly different from year one to year two. I, I'm with you. I, I want to see year three, and I want to see the playoffs to see what they do. But I, they just look like such a balanced team, and they do have an emerging superstar here, and it's someone that doesn't get any headlines really at all, and that's Vince Dunn. Like Vince Dunn is in for a payday this offseason and well-deserved. He's not going to win the Norris Trophy, but you watch at the end of this season. You watch the votes. Like he's not getting first or seconds, but you watch Vince Dunn's name pop up on, on Norris Palace. He's been that good for the uh, for the Seattle Kraken. So they, they do have, I mean, Matty Beniers as an emerging star as well, and they'll have a full season of Shane Wright uh, next season. But Vince Dunn is a huge emerging star for the Seattle Kraken team who seems to get about mm, that many headlines. But he should. Uh, we'll hit a break. Uh, Pete Weber, play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators, drops by in a couple of moments here. It is tough sledding for Nashville. We all understand that. But in the spirit of cheering for the underdog, cheering for the underdog, Nashville, I mean, they got a tough schedule down the stretch here. Uh, they play Carolina tonight, and then it's Winnipeg, Calgary, Minnesota, and finish up against the Colorado Avalanche. Not easy. Can they do it? Many are skeptical, and perhaps rightly so, uh, but this is a pretty resilient team. Pete Weber comments on the Preds in moments. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now, let's be perfectly honest about this. It is a steep hill to climb for the Nashville Predators. Tonight they'll face off against the Carolina Hurricanes, and then they're at Winnipeg at Calgary, and finish up with a pair of games against a very tough opponent, one the Minnesota Wild and the other the Colorado Avalanche. But as we've seen before, Sometimes things happen with the Nashville Predators, and usually it's because of the netminder, UC Soros. Pete Weber has seen all of this happen before. Can they do it again? That will be our first question for the great Pete Weber, a play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators. Peter, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing great, Jeff. And to that question, I can only say one thing because of what I've seen over the course of the years here. Why not? Yeah. Is is that I I'd have to think like that that kind of is the, the the mood of the team and the mood of the organization and maybe even the mood of the fans and you're there and you have your your thumb on the pulse. We have seen this before from the Nashville Predators. You know, there was only a scant couple of seasons ago that it seemed like David Poyle was ready to blow the whole thing up and UC Soros says, uh, not so fast here. We're actually going to make the playoffs." So we've seen it before like What's the mood of the team? What's the mood of the organization? And what are Preds fans doing with this right now? Well, Preds fans, I think, are actually feeding off the team's attitude from it all. And the team has been one. Nobody thinks we can do it. So what the heck? There's no pressure on us. We're playing with house money. So let's give it a try. Yeah. You know, when I when I look at the Nashville Predators, um, first of all, there's a, there's been a consistency here for a number of years. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see, well, first of all, you know, David Poyle is, you know, handing this thing off officially, uh, to Barry Trotz at the end of the season, but there's right. a, a consistency of, you know, of hard work and there's a consistency of, of making it into the playoffs and, and achieving something as well. And I look at some of the younger players, like I always love the story of one more game. I earned one more game and there's a few players here. And I think of Luke Evangelista specifically who, who gets called up and, you know, has a, has a great couple of games and texts back to his buddy's agent. Oh, I made it to one more game. I made it to one more game. Like these are the kinds of players that you just love seeing in the, uh, in the lineup, whether it's, you know, Thomas Novak, who's having a really nice uh, season. Luke Evangelista, the, the player that I just mentioned a second ago, like there's some of these next wave players that, you know, you get behind because they're, they're just trying to earn one more game, one game at a time in the NHL, Pete. Yeah, I definitely enjoy watching that and seeing how they respond, <clears throat> like post-game on the planes and so on. These huge grins on their face that are almost as wide mm. as, well, John Astin's was when he was playing Gomez Adams 
uh, on the Adams family. <laughs> they they just relish this opportunity. And uh, Kiefer Sherwood is another yeah. one of them, though he's older than these guys. But here's a 27-year-old native of Columbus, yep. Ohio, who just enjoys the chance to compete. And he, Novak, and Evangelista have just been an inspiring, really, line for the team this uh, last few weeks. Mm-hmm. They really have. Um, listen, I opened up by asking, by mentioning something about David Poyle as well, and you're you've been there uh, for all of this and and watched, uh, you know, watched David operate. Uh, you've been in in and around the the NHL, and you've watched pretty much all of David Poyle's career. I'm I'm going to say, Pete. Yes. Um, yes. You know, going back to the to the Washington days. Um, so he, he's David. Well, Poyle he was my, he was a pregame guest season. one night a, before. I'm sorry, but he was a pregame guest of mine one night before the Los Angeles Kings played the Atlanta Flames when he was assistant GM there to Cliff. So he was there. With, he was there with Cliff Fletcher, absolutely. And uh, your Los Angeles. I, I've heard so many great stories uh, from you about the Los Angeles Kings days uh, as well. Yeah. What can you tell us about interviewing a very young David Poyle, uh, ex of the uh, well then of the uh, the Atlanta Flames? Yeah, he was. He was very thorough. He uh, carefully considered every question and answered not like he was taking it back to his legal department and coming forward with a uh, homogenized uh, answer or anything like that. And come on, Jeff, you know, those are guys, we have guys like that all throughout our industry. And that happens quite a bit. And perhaps the greatest example of that would be Bill Belichick. Uh, But uh, Thankfully, no, it was not that way with David. And David gave an honest, heartfelt answer to everything. And I think for a guy who did what he did in his first week on the job at the Washington Capitals, not realizing he was trading away the owner's favorite player to the Montreal Canadiens, uh, I think he's probably found that mm-hmm. that has done very well by him <laughs> over the years. How, how do you when you when you look back at it on his time with uh, with the Nashville Predators? You know, from the root to the fruit, from a, a franchise with yep. you know nothing but a, a blank sheet of paper in front of David Poyle to making it uh, to the Stanley Cup final and and everything in between. And you know, we used to always talk. You know, in the in those years where the Preds were just sort of you know clawing to get into the the playoffs and bringing in players like Peter Forsberg to try to find some goals and find some production. When you look at all the things that that David Poyle has done and did do with the Nashville Predators over his tenure, what sticks out for you? I know it's a pretty wide question, but take your time with it if you want. Well, I got to tell you, I think the biggest thing that happened, and in a way, his hand was forced. But in uh, two thousand, uh, yeah, two thousand eleven, when all of a sudden the offer sheet came for Shea Weber, he knew he was going to match that, and it was not easy to do. There were a lot of let's say in the financial offices of the team meetings going on, where can we find this bonus payment? Where can we come up with that money? Because that was a part of the offer sheet. That was the uh, allegedly what the flyers thought would be the poison pill that would land them Shea Weber. But he found a way to do that. And uh, then shortly thereafter, he had to replace a guy named Ryan Suter who left for then the Minnesota wild. And he just reached down to the farm system that he had developed and, and pulls up a guy named Roman Yossi. Uh, so that those are the sorts mm-hmm. of things that I will remember the most. You know the the Suter the Suter uh, saga was so fascinating with Nashville, and I almost I know that you can't take things personally in the industry, and I get that right. it's a business, and and everybody has to has to feel that way. But correct me if I'm wrong. I really got the sense that you know Ryan Suter leaving to go to Minnesota. Maybe I'm making too much of it, but it felt like it hurt David personally. Like that was that did. was a body blow for for David Boyle. Yep. Like he did not he did not expect that to happen. Which which listen, I think a few people are sort of concerned about seeing you know um, Suter the sequel with Philip Forsberg um, not too long ago. But did that Suter situation really hurt David personally? It seemed to me that it did. And talking to him now, he still will shake his head as the question is leaving my mouth. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I I think that there was out any question that that did hurt and maybe was part of a a lesson learned about not taking things too personally. I mean, I just just spoke to Ryan himself before the game in Dallas a couple of days ago, and uh, he was asking about all the people that are still here, and uh, he had concern for them. Yeah. 
uh, with Pete Weber, play-by-play voice of the uh, of the Nashville Predators. Um, a couple more things I want to ask you about, um, just from your past. And I haven't had a chance to, to ask you about it, you know, since uh, since he passed. But Paul Wayland, um, mm. you know, who was you know such a I, I don't want to just say you know PR director or you know uh, communications chief for the Buffalo Sabers because he was that much more. Um, oh yeah, he was not just an e bug, a, a one man act, a, a one. Not just yeah, not just an e bug, uh, and, I, and I know the stories of him getting on the ice with the guys are, are legendary. But um, first of all, um, it's a sad day when he passed because he really was one of a kind, and we all know the Taro Sujimoto story, and that's perhaps what he's most famous for. But Pete, you were there, you know all the stories. When you hear his name, what stories come to your mind when the old Buffalo Sabers days? Actually, what comes to mind most with him are when he was producing the Sabers telecast. And every April 1st was a special, uh, shall we say, uh, <laughs> approach to telecasting the game. I mean, he didn't mind if I put on, you know, a funny nose and eyeglasses and did a long rant in German that he would then uh, translate <laughs> with a little scroll on the side of the screen. Or when I interviewed yeah. uh, a guy asking him about being the leading hooker in the NHL. And that was Greg Malone, then of the Hartford Whalers, who was more than happy to play along with that. And even, yeah, he gave us he gave us some of his favorite hooking techniques and how to have the right tape on the blade of your stick so you could hold on to a guy maybe a little bit longer. Uh, so, but Paul absolutely loved to laugh, and he loved to help others laugh too. And that's what I'm going to remember the most about him. Yeah, he got stung a little bit by the White House when he produced a fake, well, having had a piece of White House stationery, produced a fake letter from Ronald yep. Reagan uh, <laughs> naming the Sabres America's team. <laughs> oh, those days. Yeah. Yeah, shortly after he passed, Landed Jeff, I had so and, many uh, phone calls. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Listen, I, I talk plenty with, um, listen, uh, Joel Darling is one of my executives, one of my bosses yep. uh, here at Sportsnet. His, his, you know, his, his father, Ted, was, you know, a longtime play-by-play voice as well um, of the Buffalo Sabres. As, as you all know, you, you worked alongside Ted. Um, and Joel was talking about, you know, intermission features that Paul put together with a young <laughs> Joel Darling and a Jerry King Kong Corab, which, by the way, yes. and I know you collect a lot of things, Pete. Please tell me, please tell me you have some of those intermissions because... Because I fear that they are uh, that they are gone and will and will never see the light of day again. Please tell me you have one of these Joel Darling, uh, Jerry King Kong Corab intermissions. Well, I have some on a VHS tape, but the thing is, uh, I have to make sure those don't just totally degrade. Right now, I have discovered some mm. on YouTube uh, and try to revive them that way. But those features, yes, absolutely priceless, and then maybe. For those in your audience and probably very much aware of Channel 17, the public station in Buffalo, one of his best April yep. Fool's telecasts was turning it into a fake great TV auction. And John Gertler was the auctioneer playing the role of J. Michael Collins from Channel 17. And they were auctioning off game-used sticks from Frankie Sove. And Frankie was rather diminutive, and so was one of those <laughs> toy sticks, you see, and, uh, and signed by Frankie Sove. <laughs> absolutely classic stuff and uh, pulled off beautifully. I love it. I love it. Um, Pete, before I let you go, I, I want to ask you about um, Barry Trotz and Barry Trotz back around the organization. And at what point did yeah. you maybe say to yourself, if you did it all, that one day Barry Trotz is going to be a manager in this league, like after a while, we started to think like, you know what, Trotz has won the Stanley Cup here. Maybe it's, you know, next step and he has the right, you know, acumen for it and the right skill set for it. At what point did you maybe think to yourself, I could see Barry Trotz running a hockey team? Uh, I probably said it uh, around about February after it was already fed accompli. Uh, that shows you how quick I am. Mm-hmm. But uh, seeing him back around town, <laughs> uh, so I, I thought that that was... Uh, just a natural move. And when you consider how he essentially came to Nashville with David uh, back in 98, actually 97, the year before the team began play, uh, it only makes sense. 
It does. And it's wonderful having Barry Trotz back associated with the uh, Nashville Predators. So um, we'll leave you on this one then. It's uh, it's a tough sled uh, for the uh, for the Nashville yep. Predators. But again, we've we've seen it before. Um, wishing the Preds luck. It's a first class organization. Always great to catch up with you, my friend. And of the. The, the question of the day today, we're asking everybody here, yeah. of all the non-playoff teams that are out there, which is the one that you can see making it back into the postseason next year? Because of there has to be reverse karma, I'm going to pick the Columbus Blue Jackets. Everything that possibly could go wrong, oh. it seems, has gone wrong for them. And they've got these young players yeah. that I think can do the job for them and get them into the playoffs. We'll see. I think the lottery is a big one for him. And if they get Connor Bedard, yes, look out, everything changes. Uh, Pete, if you're wonderful. Do, Always guarantee. good catching up. Uh, all the best. That that Yeah, that, that pretty much cements it. So whether it's Anaheim or Chicago or whomever, you get Connor Bedard, your chances grow exponentially. Uh, thanks, Pete. You be well. Enjoy the game tonight, the Preds and the Carolina Hurricanes. Thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. There he is, the great Pete Weber, play-by-play voice, long-time play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators. Um, it's going to be tough, folks. Uh, technically, mathematically, still not done, uh, and a really tough schedule as well. It's the classic underdog story, and Nashville's kind of been that underdog team for a lot of years, for you know the majority of years uh, in their existence in the National Hockey League. Um, I want to thank everybody for, uh, for uh, submitting answers or thoughts on the question of the day today. Uh, always appreciate the feedback and the participation. Uh, thanks, Pete Weber, Nashville Predators play by play voice uh thanks to mike rupp of the nhl network for stopping by former nhl forward and cup champion first Stanley cup winning goal as well uh vince mercogliano of loha.com talked to us about what was an exceptional tampa bay lightning new york rangers game last night at msg oh that was spicy and elliot friedman who kicked it off as he always does here on the broadcast thanks to jen roll nick lance kennedy matt marchese and don't forget tonight it is a beauty 14 games We've got Wild Pens, we've got Leafs Bruins, we've got Blackhawks Canucks, we've got Kings, and the Golden Knights all across the various Sportsnet channels. Enjoy it. 14 games. We're back tomorrow at noon for more of the Merrick Show. Talk about it all. Talk to you in 22 hours.